You're listening to Action Line on KNY. I'm your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me is Representative Andy Story. How are you doing? I am fine. Things are full speed ahead up at the Capitol, so it's very interesting, a lot to keep um, up with, but overall, uh, I think things are going well. Well, that's good and interesting to hear. Now, I definitely want to talk to you about what's going on with all the education policy. I saw during the education committee that there was talk about, if I remember correctly, it was looking at sort of how students are meeting certain standards. Is that correct? Uh, Yes, we have been looking at our state assessment system and looking at where our students currently are and how that fits in with the policies that the department is doing and districts because as we look at our budget and we're all working through our budgets now in our various committees so we're working on our finance subcommittee budget for education so we're wanting to make sure that areas are resourced uh, where we want to make improvements okay and now i was actually looking at some of the graphs that were out of that and it was looking like you know, for some of those subjects, it was looking like maybe almost 60% of students were, were in need of improvement. Was that was I interpreting that data correctly? Uh, yes, you are right, and that is not new news. Um, unfortunately, we have known uh, for several years now that we, well, good things are happening in our classrooms every day, that students... Um, need a lot of support, and that's one of the reasons why, uh, uh, for instance, the READS Act passed last year. Okay. Talk to me a bit more about the READS Act, because I'm not fully caught up on that personally. Sure. Well, the READS Act is uh, primarily targeted on our earliest learners and kindergarten to third grade learners, because we know once kids um, learn how to read, it's so critical because when you, after third grade, you're reading to learn about other subjects. And some of the charts and information we've been going over, we have which is called an Alaska Developmental Profile. And if you were listening, uh, when kids are coming into kindergarten, 80% of our students are not at the kindergarten readiness level. And so we know that when our students come to us, about 20% are doing our kinder ready. And so it's a lot harder to catch kids up than when they come to us on grade level. So our achievement gap, so to speak, is not something, you know, it comes to school uh, with the children. And so part of the READS Act has a whole component where it's voluntary, but it will be growing having voluntary uh, pre-K for four-year-olds across the state. It takes us about 10 years to get there unless um, legislators and Alaskans want us to appropriate more money. It's about $3 million a year, which will be cumulative. So next year it will be $6 million, the next year $9 million. Or we could do an infusion um, earlier if we wanted to. And part of that is the department right now, we're going through regulations because the READS Act passed, but it doesn't go into effect until July 1st of this year. They're working on regulations, one of them being 
of these are the standards for a quality early learning program. And in order to get money for the uh, for your voluntary preschool program for four-year-olds, you need to make sure the districts need to make sure that they are offering an enriching early literacy program. And so like our Juno School District, I fully believe that we are doing that right now in the preschool programs we have, and we will want to expand. Once the department has the regulations, then you can petition the department to have them look at what your standards are, and then you will qualify for a half of a, a full-time equivalent student because our preschool programs are half-day. And so that would be a form of money the district would have to offer more of this. And this will also help alleviate some care for our, our students, uh, child care. So uh, that would also be, you know, a good support for families. But we know that um, early learning does help kids be ready for kindergarten if the parents, you know, want that opportunity for their child. Gotcha. Okay. I know, I mean, for me growing up, I mean, I grew up in Anchorage, I didn't grow up in Juneau, but having that ability to get some education, you know, before going into pre-K, it was definitely helpful, even if I may not remember too much of that time. I know, but I know for a fact that it was probably helpful for me, you know, getting started and feeling a bit more comfortable for sure. Sure. And then how the Reads Act in the K through third area, it um, targets reading goals and if your child is behind on a reading assessment tool that the department is developing, then you will have a reading improvement plan um, made up with your child and your teacher and maybe some other support people. So it tells you what you need to work at at home, helps um, know what maybe extra supports are valuable to your child during the school day. So the whole idea is to get the kids on grade level so then and fourth grade is when they really start testing for reading. So it's working towards improving that. And then right now, part of it is adopting the science of reading program, making sure your school district has a curriculum that is complemented with those um, components. And so districts right now across the state, they have been working on this um, for um, an amount of time and they will continue to. And the, unfortunately, the Reads Act doesn't have as much dollar supports in it. And that, uh, to me, is going to impact our advancement if we don't have more money to provide those extra supports that should be in the reading improvement plan, which can be tutoring. It can be Saturday um, time with your teacher. Uh, there's many things in there. Gotcha. No, I would. I can definitely see why we, you would want to have, or not even just you, but even just as the education committee would want to see that increase in reading comprehension. I've always been a person that advocates, you know, reading is a huge part of, you know, kind of getting an equalizer later on, and no matter kind of what you do later. And so making sure that students are at a specific reading level for their grade would be, you know, be monumental for making sure that they can fully engage with their education. Exactly. And I certainly want to say that, you know, right now, uh, part of it, we look at the assessment system, and we are using a MAPS assessment system that's measured academic progress, and students 
are assessed three times a year. It's a formative assessment, which means it informs instruction, so you can see um, which area of reading your child might not be doing well at, and teachers can target that instruction. So that is a really wonderful thing that DEED, the Department of Education, has done. Um, and, uh, worked with the federal government, and it is allowing us to um, combine our MAPS program with the federally required test. It's called uh, the STAR, Alaska STAR system, but it's, our kids have to take one less assessment because they are they complement one another. It can be meet our state requirements and the federal. And I think this is welcomed by parents and teachers uh, because assessments, they are a snapshot in time that can inform instruction and you need that, but they're assessing daily in a lot of other ways. And so if we can do one less test, uh, formal test, and uh, it just frees up more time in the school day. Okay. And so that is, that's in addition to the standardized testing, or is that a, a different version of said standardized testing? Uh, it's it's um, allowed now um, by, with our state assessment, that the in, what districts we're working on can now count towards the, yes, this is your state assessment. And so we don't have to be doing a district one and a state one. Okay. Because, I mean, I know as someone who's gone through the Alaska school system, obviously you have all the standardized tests and they obviously they have their value. I would make my own case about how I feel about standardized testing, but that's not what this is for. But I know uh, another big thing I kind of thought about is, you know, over these last, I'm not sure how much control you know about this with the education committee, but what is it looking like for sort of like what the academic plans might be for the state. Obviously, you have states changing what their schools are teaching. I don't know if anything like that is going on in the legislature, but would you potentially know if anything like that was going on? You know, we, our state, are very much a locally controlled state, so school boards are, you know, have their own strategic plans and goals that they're looking at based on their student achievement data and what they feel they need to add. And so certainly I know they have their academic goals about reading and science curriculums right now is they adopt certain curriculums at different time. And I think right now people are working on their science program. So in real time, um, by law, every six years you have to be evaluating one component of your program. And in the meantime, you are still trying to work on making sure kids are getting support in reading and math. And so there is a lot of things going on in, the, in our schools all the time. And the best thing that they can do is right now you could go to any one of your schools, say, and you could talk to the principal and say, what is our school improvement plan? And they can show you um, what... Um, based on their data that they get, you know, what they are working on in their school. They might have targeted a certain um, area that they need to work on. Maybe they're having more trouble in math at their school than another school in town, and so their goals are, are math-focused, even though I know we all have a reading component that they're working on. Gotcha. When we come back from our quick ad break, I will, we will talk more with Representative Story. Welcome back to Action Line. I'm your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me is Representative Andy Story. Now, the next thing I want to talk to you about is how is it looking in terms of the bipartisanship in the state legislature? I understand that not this legislature, but the 32nd legislature, you were a member of the, the bipartisan group there. What can you tell me about that? 
Well, the the four years prior that I've served in, I've been part of a bipartisan majority, which was made up of uh, four independents, uh, about 15 Democrats, and um, six Republicans. I think we had two Republicans the last two years of the session. And what and Alaska is unique in that we have had shared power with between different parties, which in my conversations with people, they're wanting, they're more concerned about what we can get done to help with the unique concerns of our state and not wanting us to focus so much on party. And so what's been nice in the Alaska legislature, like the Senate this year, is a bipartisan group where they are like 17 um, out of 20 in uh, bipartisan um, organization. And our House, our bipartisan organization is a little bit different this year in that there's 19 uh, Republicans, there's two Democrats and two independents. And those Democrats and independents are part of the Bush caucus. And the Bush caucus decided, from rural areas, decided to organize uh, with uh, a majority of Republicans in the House this year. And so our House coalition that I am involved in, we are one Republican, two independents, and 14 Democrats. And I would say everyone was talking about how we have a lot of freshmen joining the House, 19, technically two of them uh, are returning legislators just taking like a four-year break, uh, Rep. Sadler and Rep. Johnson. And so they are not really seen so much as part of the freshmen. But of those freshman legislators, there are, I think, three of them who are all staffers for several years, like five or six years. There is a lot of energy in that group. There is a lot. Uh, it brought down the average age of legislators uh, quite significantly. But there, I feel that there is a really good working relationship between the House Majority Coalition and the coalition that I belong to in the House. And so that's really positive, and I'm hoping that's going to uh, result in good things for, for policy. We have some differences in policy, but right now um, I think we're working together well. Our freshmen, they have a freshman caucus from um, – so the 17 of them have been doing some just lighthearted things, um, and that always when you interact and have relationships outside of your work, it just bodes for um, camaraderie in the building. And so I feel um, there's some good um, karma in the building, so to speak. Okay. It's definitely encouraging to see that there are those younger faces in there that's not to discount anyone who's already there but obviously when you have those younger faces and you have those newer newer you have newer perspectives in there you have new ideas and that can help lead the state in new directions and see where we can develop you know what i mean yes and we also have our second largest group of women serving we have 15 uh women legislators in the house and we have five in the senate and that perspective is always good to have Gotcha. Now, another thing I have uh, my lovely rolling list of topics to talk to you about is talking about the. So, I understand that you've been advocating for the return of state provided benefits for state workers. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Um, 
Very much so. We, in 2006, we changed our, our retirement um, benefit system to just a defined contribution and went away from a defined benefit. And so what that has, and it's been several years now since 2006, and what we have found is we are having a really high turnover with uh, staff, um, teachers, public employees, uh, safety officers, and we have been hearing very much from uh, our troopers, our police officers, and our teachers that we need some sort of return to a defined benefits option. And so I, um, House State Affairs just passed out a bill on that, and it will be coming, I mean, sorry, Community and Regional Affairs, and so I serve on State Affairs, and we will be hearing that in the next couple of weeks. Um, so... And there's interest in both the House and the Senate side in trying to retain more of our workforce, because obviously it takes um, a while to learn the job, to um, get experience, and we have found that in about five years when their um, defined contribution becomes portable, many of them have been um, taking that and leaving the state and not continuing to um, to work and uh, boy training for troopers and is like a hundred thousand dollars a year to get a new person in and to put them through uh, the training that's needed it's about twenty thousand dollars for a teacher and so we're spending a lot of money in training and, and retraining and what happens is the public and in the case of schools the kids miss out on more ex teachers with more experience, um, which is helpful for learning. Of course, not, um, you know, all teachers new or wherever they are in the system bring their own unique strengths, uh, but the more years you tend to have in the classroom really uh, typically shows uh, more student growth. Gotcha. I was going to say I actually have a friend who works in the school district as a, t as a teacher, in fact. I would definitely say it, it, it interests me, especially talking about, you know, trying to keep those teachers around, because obviously, I'm sure, as you know, for a number of years, we've always had issue with keeping teachers in the state. Oftentimes, you'll have folks who come up and they'll teach for like a year or two, and then they'll be like, this isn't the place for me, and they leave. And then that also plays a role with student education, because then they are put into a position where they feel like if their teachers don't care about their education and they always leave, then why should I care about my education? Well, a relationship uh, between student and teacher is really an important thing, and uh, it's hard, and I hear this from areas of the state who there is more of a revolving change in teachers, and especially during COVID, um, it's been an emotional time um, for many people, and it's harder for um, students who don't have uh, adults that they're familiar with and know um, to get the supports that they need. It's interesting talking to teachers. And, of course, it all, we always think about our own high school experience or a school experience. And for some of us, school was not um, the best. But usually one, we can think of one or, you know, a couple teachers who really made a difference and we clicked with them in some ways and they encouraged us. And so the students, I think, are really missing out. And they feel that they're missing out, and they can't really trust their teacher because will they, they come back? And 
Um, they are an important part of our own family support system, whatever that may be, uh, to help us uh, find our way um, through learning and also just through more self-confidence and growth as we go through uh, just, you know, our time of adolescence and learning when you're younger. Definitely. Now, is there anything else you'd like to talk about, uh, Representative Story, before we wrap up our, our talk today? Well, I'd really like um, everybody to remember that it's Elizabeth Paradovich Day, and this is a really special day up at the Capitol. Uh, she, of course, was involved in um, us passing the first uh, anti-discrimination act in uh, in the 50 states. Of course, we were a territory when this passed. I think it was in, boy, I'm not going to remember, the 1945. And she experienced great discrimination here. She's an Alaska Native woman who came here. One example was to buy a home. Um, her and her husband wanted to buy a home in a certain neighborhood, and because of her Alaska Native heritage, she could not. Um, she, um, and so there were other injustices she faced, and she really worked within the legislative process and changed lawmakers um, with with help, of course, of others, and BNS, other advocates, um, other non-Native people, but this is not right. And we honor her, one of our galleries, the public galleries that we sit in, and or that the public sit in. We're saying her name on the floor all the time because we'll recognize the guests in the Paradovich Gallery. Anyway, we are having, the community is having a few events today at 10 a.m. Um, there's a memorial service at the Evergreen Bowl Cemetery at 11 at the museum. They're having... Um, all day at the museum, actually, they're having, um, they're showing a movie about her life. Uh, they're having a scavenger hunt at noon on the Capitol steps. They're having a rally just honoring Elizabeth Paradovich. And then um, there's a virtual um, event at 6 p.m. that Sea Alaska, Clinton Haida, and Alaska Native Brotherhood and Sisterhood is doing. So happy Elizabeth Paradovich Day. I know that children are learning a lot about her life and how uh, we want to um, value all, all of us. So thank you for your time, and, um, th and uh, thanks to everyone in Juneau that's listening, and I know how we all care deeply about our community. All righty. Thank you, Representative Story. This has been Action Line on KNY.